Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. What to do when you've blown it. I mean, all of us do it one time or another. Well, what do you do? Are are there biblical things to do? Yes. Yes. Well, is it really important that I know? Yes. Yes. Because the Bible doesn't just tell us how to avoid blowing it in our life, but God knows sometimes we still will. So what do we do when we blow it? We're in the part of this series known as the what to do part. And it'll go through all different topics. So what do you do when this happens? Or what do you do when this happens? Number one on your notes. The first thing you should understand is that all of us, say all of us. Underline that if you would. The first thing you should understand is that all of us have blown it in our life and some, and even in the ministry. And even in the ministry. Now, you know, ministry-wise, there are requirements. I agree with Dr. Barclay, and he's not saying this about ministry people. There are requirements, high requirements for leadership in ministry. And there are certain things biblically that he he truly believes the Bible teaches that if you've done certain things, you cannot remain in ministry because you violated your calling. But at the same time, just because you're a minister doesn't mean you don't say stuff you shouldn't say sometimes or do something you shouldn't do. Even from the pulpit at times, you may mess up and say something you shouldn't or maybe say it in a way that maybe, you know, wasn't right the way you said it, whatever. But I guarantee you the great part about God is, guess what God is? God's gracious. God's merciful. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad for the mercy of my God. He is merciful. So first, first and foremost, this is really important teaching tonight for those of you that struggle with performance issues. You, you, you base your value and work off of what you do. So this teaching is critical for you tonight. Because I'm telling you, when I would blow it, I would really do harm to myself beyond just what I did and what I obviously messed up. Because then I would start beating myself up. But you got to realize all of us have blown it. All of us have blown it in our life and even many in the ministry in things that they could correct. Number two, no matter how hard you try... No matter how hard you try, guess what? You're still going to make mistakes. Why? you got a human side. That doesn't give us excuses to make mistakes. But what I'm saying is you're still going to make them. You still make mistakes and guess what? Misjudgments every so often. Underline it. Don't condemn yourself for it or put yourself down. Why don't you think about that statement? Don't condemn yourself for it or put yourself down. Why? How's that going to help you correct it? How's that going to help you fix it? It won't. It'll just make you feel even worse. You know, Romans 8.1 clearly says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this part's actually added. It's not in the original language. But that verse in most translations says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh but after the spirit. Well, that latter part's not actually in the original translation. It was added by English translators. But if you read down into the chapter a little while, Guess what? It's referred to. So it is kind of a help because when you read the context, it actually does state that. If you and I don't walk according to the flesh, I've taught this many years and I think people tend to forget it. 
If we don't walk according to the flesh, we have no reason to feel condemned. Well, what if I get in the flesh? Then I should feel condemned. No, you should look at yourself as a spirit being, not a fleshly being, because you're not a fleshly being. So if I see myself the way God does, even when I miss it, I should still not feel condemned. Meaning what? You're going to feel condemned if you only focus on the flesh side of you and you see yourself as a fleshly being. Now, this is a great follow-up to what we talked about Wednesday night. Because on Wednesday night, I talked about the fact that if you miss it with God, it's not you that did it. When we say you, of course, your flesh did, but you're a spirit being. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit would never lead you to sin. Your spirit would never lead you to miss it. Your spirit would never lead you to do anything that's opposed to God's will for your life. So understand when you goof up or do something wrong, it's not really you that did it. It's that old fleshly nature. So the reason you should not feel condemned is because it wasn't really you that did it. Some people still have a hard time grasping that. But if you go read all of Romans 7, Paul talks about this in Romans 7. If this, if this is an area you struggle in, you should go read and study Romans 7. Because Paul says there, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. Right. Now, who is the things that I want? I Who's the I? I want to do, I don't do. Who's the I guy there? The Spirit. The things I as the Spirit man want to do, guess what? At times I don't do them. The things I as a spirit man don't want to do, sometimes I do them. And he goes on to talk about this battle that's going on. You're going to live this battle out all the days of your life till Jesus comes to get you. We go home, go to home, be with him because you got a flesh to deal with. And so, but, it, but listen, he said this battle between these two natures. So he says, I realize there's two natures within me. There's this nature of God, the spirit that's now born again, your spirit. And there's this old nature of the old fleshly man. But then he says, who's going to deliver me? Who will deliver me from this old, wretched, this old wretched man, this old nature? Oh, he gives the answer, Jesus Christ. So Jesus has given us a way to be free, amen? But you got to realize, I, I mentioned this Wednesday night, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You're going to feel condemned if you focus on yourself through the fleshly perspective. You're going to feel condemned if you're listening to your flesh. Even after you miss it. You're going to feel convicted if you do wrong. If you're following after your spirit. Because your spirit knows you did wrong. Conviction is an acknowledgement of wrong. Condemnation is a judgment of actual punishment for the wrong you've done. I'll say it again. Conviction is an acknowledgement of wrong. Condemnation means I deserve to be punished for what I did. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Morty preaching better than your amen. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning what? No punishment to come. Because Jesus bore your punishment. It's called the work of propitiation. So he already bore our punishment. So I say this all the time. This is a key factor. I say this all the time. Why should I not condemn myself? Because what you're doing is you're punishing yourself. So let's say it for the statement that it really is. Why should I not punish myself for the wrong I've done? Let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, is punishing yourself for the wrong you've done going to fix it? No. No, it's going to make you feel worse. Yes. Number two, why would you punish yourself when God won't? Amen. Good. If God's not going to punish you, and he won't. If God's going to punish you for the wrong... Folks, there's only one punishment left with God to come. You listening? That won't happen until the great right throne judgment. Now, as long as you serve God, don't harden your heart toward God and turn from Him, you're not going to that one. 
I said, you're not going to that one. And now, you could. You could harden your heart, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, deny Christ, walk away from him. Then you would go to the great white throne judgment. But if you don't do that, guess what? You're not going to that one. Say, I ain't going there. Now, you're going to a judgment. So when you want to be at. Because there's two judgments and everybody's going to face one or the other. The other's called the judgment seat of Christ. Which all of us will stand and give an account to Jesus. Yes, of our lives we lived here. And since we've been born again, did we do what he called us to do? Were we about the Father's business? Why? There's rewards given. There are going to be people rewarded for their service to God. Well, what do I need a reward for? Because then you're going to get to go into the throne room. And you're going to get to present your crowns that you actually have been given and rewarded with to Jesus. So, so realize, obviously, as a believer, if I don't deny Christ and I walk with God and I don't harden my heart toward God, will I ever be punished by God for the actual wrong I've committed here? No, because if you are, then the work of propitiation is a lie. Propitiation means to satisfy the wrath, the anger God had towards mankind because of his sin. And because of that anger, somebody had to satisfy it, meaning they had to take the punishment. That's what Jesus did. So don't condemn yourself when you blow it. I'm going to wait till you catch up with me. I'll I'll preach all night if I have to just to get the amens I need to know you're hearing. Don't condemn yourself when you blow it. What are you doing when you condemn yourself? You're, You're saying I deserve to be punished. So again, conviction means an acknowledgement of wrong. Your spirit will let you know that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because if you didn't know you did wrong, how would you know to correct it? You wouldn't. But thank God your spirit, and a lot of people need to hear this because this is the balance of the gospel. This is the balance. See, the imbalance of the gospel is because I'm not getting punished, it doesn't matter what I do. Oh, no, it matters what you do. Because if you continue to live in sin, guess what it causes? Death. can destroy your life, your marriage, your finances, your health, on and on we could go. You're giving Satan opportunity to ransack your life. But God's not going to punish, me, punish you for the wrong you've done. Because if he did, he would violate his word. And therefore, Christ uh, satisfying the wrath of God was not enough. But it was. How many believe the blood of Jesus was enough to cleanse you? Wait, wait, wait. How many believe the blood of Jesus was enough to cleanse your sin? Cleanse you of all sin and make you brand new on the inside. Well, at that same cleansing, guess what else he did? He bore your punishment. So, so it's the same. Don't condemn yourself. When you feel convicted, that's your spirit saying, hey, woohoo! Go fix that. What you just said to that person, go repent. Come on, what you just did, you need to acknowledge that was wrong. Confess it. Turn back to God. So understand we don't condemn. Say we don't condemn. Do we condemn people when we talk to others about their wrongdoing? No. You're condemning them if you're damning them to hell. If you're damning them to hell, which is the ultimate punishment, then you're condemning them. I don't go to anybody and say you're going to hell. You know what? I don't know their heart. Neither do you. I can see the outward actions, but that don't tell me what their heart's like. How about the prodigal we're going to talk about tonight? You don't know people's heart. So we don't condemn people to damnation. But it's not wrong. Balance of the Bible. Black and white. So cool when you understand this. It's not wrong to point out people's faults or what they're doing that can harm their life. Because if you love people and they're doing something that's going to hurt their life, if you care enough about them, guess what? You want to help them. You don't want to see them keep hurting their life. So for even sinners to say you're condemning me, no, your actions are. 
Your actions are. I'm not. Your actions are. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, guess what? He said, I don't need to condemn you. The word already has. God's word, his commandments have already revealed. You're already actually damned if you don't receive Jesus Christ. So thank God we should not feel condemned. Luke 15. Don't worry, that wasn't all introduction. Luke 15. I want you to see this. This is called the prodigal, you know, prodigal son story. Uh, this is powerful. Prodigal just means wasteful living. A lot of people don't know the term prodigal. It just means you're, you're wasting your life. You're wasting your, what you're doing. You know, there's Christians today born again, and they are living a prodigal life. And I don't necessarily mean in sin. I just mean they're wasting their time. They're not using it for God. They're not using their money for God. That's, that's a prodigal. That's wasteful living. That we're not doing with what we have from God what we should. And we're just allowing ourselves to waste away in this life, not accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. Luke 15, verse 11. A lot to cover here. Let's, let's go over this. because We're just going to go over a couple sets of verses tonight, not a lot. Verse 11. Here Jesus said there was a certain man who had two sons. Say two sons. Now the story, we won't have time tonight. I've taught on it before. But both of these sons really had the same problem. You wouldn't think so, but they really did. But I want you to see, we're going to focus on the, on the one that was obviously doing uh, what was wrong, wasteful living. Verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods, his inheritance that has, had been promised to him, that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Third. Divided to them, his, his sons, their livelihood. 13, not many days after, the younger son, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions. He wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wasteful living. Taking what was, giving to, what was given to him and just using it wastefully. Not for its intended purpose. 14, but when he had spent all all gone, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 15, then he went out and he joined himself. He's in a position where he can't even you know, feed himself, doesn't even have enough uh, food, you know, money to feed himself. Notice he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach, think about this, with the pods that the swine ate, but no one, no one gave him anything. They wouldn't even give him the stuff that they were feeding to the hogs. Seventeen, when he came to himself, underline that phrase right there. When he came to himself. So remember, he's still a son. Say he's a son. So he's not, in this, in this picture, he's not a sinner. He's not a sinner. Those that are sinners are not sons and daughters of God because obviously they've died spiritually. Right. Who are they sons and daughters of? Not realizing it, but who are they sons and daughters of? The devil. Remember what Jesus told the, to, uh, the Pharisees of his day? You're of your father, the devil. Right. But once you're born again, what do you become? Son or daughter of God. Yeah. So in this context of this, uh, uh, this teaching, this parable, the sonship would mean they're still obviously in our case born again. Doesn't mean they're not, they don't know God and he, you know, went off and became a sinner. No, he's just living his life wastefully. Okay? So here he's saying, verse 16, he would have gladly taken the pig food and eat it and eaten it, but they wouldn't even give him that. 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? 
Man, he's sitting there thinking about back home when he was living with his dad, and the servants ain't better than where he's at now. Why not go back and just become a servant to my dad? Verse uh, 18, I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So that's a good thing. So that's what a prodigal has to do. Remember, he comes to himself, and he realizes what I'm doing is wrong. And I need, to go back to, I need to go back to the Father. I need to go back to my relationship with the Father. Watch this. It says, clearly, I've had, again, verse 18, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. And, underline it, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that's what he thought of himself. Right. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Why? Because of what he had done. Because right. of what he had done. Say he blew it. But guess what? Even though he blew it, guess what that didn't mean? Didn't mean he's not a son anymore. He started feeling like he was no longer a son, but it didn't mean he wasn't a son anymore. Still a son. But he said, he said, not his dad, he said again, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. When he's talking, thinking about going back home, he would say this to his father, make me like one of your hired servants because at least I could get some bread to eat. 20, he arose. Came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, listen to this. When he was still a great way off, his father did what? Now, why would, how would his father know that day he's coming home? He didn't. Guess what? He's looking every day, man. Guess what the father does when people drift away from him? He's looking every day just waiting for him to turn back. Isn't it cool to know the father hasn't hardened his heart towards you? He doesn't turn from you. You just turn from him. He's just waiting for you to turn back. Aren't you glad? So notice again, 20, his father, when he saw him still a great way off, he saw him and he did what? He had compassion. And he ran, he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Yes. You would think he would beat him, you know, hey, you did wrong by the time you woke up. No, man, because guess what? He already knows he did wrong. Amen. fact, he's coming home is, is a proof. He knows he was obviously doing something he shouldn't do. 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and, against heaven and in your sight. Say, that's good. that's good. That statement's good. But the next one is not. Underline it again. And am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's not true. The first statement's good. Because you need to realize when you've done wrong, you've sinned against God Almighty, heaven. You've sinned against God Almighty and obviously, therefore, in God's sight. But that doesn't mean you're no longer worthy to be called a son. Why? You're still a son or a daughter. Doesn't change your position. How many of you know every believer today that's blown it and hasn't repented yet is still a son and daughter of God? Notice verse 22. But the father said, say the father said. So the father said to his servants, hey, you bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Sandals is on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here. Guess what we're going to do? Barbecue, baby. Come on, Texans. Brisket, baby. Come on, steak on the, on, the, on the grill. I'm preaching myself hungry already, praise God. Who's ready to just ditch this message and go eat? Not me. No, I'm not going to do that. He, he said, bring out the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Let us have a celebration. Why? 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And, be, and notice this, they began to be merry. What do you mean he was dead? Well, he wasn't dead spiritually. But remember in the book of Revelation, God even wrote to one of the churches and said, you say you're alive, but you're really dead. 
Because again, you're not living like a son. You're not living like a daughter. Amen? Amen. So watch this. This is cool, man. Uh, uh, very important to understand what goes on here in this whole context of the story. So remember, he didn't feel like he was worthy. 25. His older son, the man's older son was in the field. He's out there working. He came in, drew near to the house, end of the day. He heard, what does he hear? Music and dancing. He's like, wow, there's a party going on. Nobody told me about it. What's going on, man? 26. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, hey, man, what's going on, dude? What do these things mean? What's happening over here at the house? I don't get it. 27. He said to him, your brother has come and because he's received him safe, the father, safe and sound, your father's what? He's killed the fatted calf. Now, if this guy, this second son, didn't have the same problem as the first son, guess what he'd have done? He'd have shouted. Yes. He'd have been as excited as the dad. Amen. Because my brother has come home. Yes. He is no longer off living and wasteful living, help, uh, destroying his life. Right. But that's not how he responds. Verse 28, notice this. He was angry. You would get angry that somebody would come back from the sin they were living in? You would get angry. I mean, think about if somebody left this church, went out into the world, wasteful living, woke up with it to themselves, and came back home. How many of you here would beat them up? No. Your brothers and sisters of this guy, would you not be excited? Yes. Would you not be excited and elated that they came home? Yes. Absolutely. So what's wrong with this second son? Really the same thing as the first. So the first one back up here said, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. What was he basing his value and worth on? What he did. What he did. Because of what I've done, I can no longer be somebody worthy in my sight of my father to be called a son. It don't matter what you do or don't do. That doesn't make you worthy with God. Amen. So if I'm still worthy in the sight of God, meaning what? I still have worth. Yes. Yes. And therefore I have a right to what God has available to me. Yes. I don't earn it, do I? No. I do not. So the first son had a problem with what? He had a problem with identity in relationship to what he actually did. Right. He was finding his value worth on what he did because he didn't do right. He didn't feel like he was obviously worthy to be called a son. But the second son had the same problem. It just affected him in a different way. Right. Verse 28. The, again, he was angry. The second son would not go into the party. Would not. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years, underline it, I have been serving you. So what's he talking about? Same thing. He's basing his worth on what he did. Look at all these years I've served you. You never thrown me a party. Never done this for me. So guess what he was actually serving his dad for all those years? Find his value and worth. Right. Not because he was elated to be a son, not because he understood, I'm not working to earn anything from my dad. I'm not working to earn anything from my dad. See, the second son thinks because I'm working hard for my dad, I should obviously deserve to get something from my dad. You're not going to work to get anything from your father. So he says clearly, again, verse 29, I've been serving you all these many years. I never, listen, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. He didn't talk about a calf. Right. So you can see he's very below in his view of himself. 
You, you didn't give me a young goat that I may make, 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 make merry with my friends. 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said, son, listen, you are always with me. Notice, and all that I have is what? You could have had a party anytime. Why did the son who stayed home never had a party? I'm going to tell you two reasons why. Ready? Number one, he never had a party because, because he had a wrong view of himself thinking, I have to earn it. I have to earn it. I worked for you all these years. You didn't, you didn't even actually give a goat as a sacrifice to have a party for me. So number one, he's thinking he has to earn what is rightfully his. You listening? Yes. Number two, what's the second key, obviously, as to why he didn't get a party? He never asked. Right. Good pastor. I said he never asked. Right. You have an inheritance, church. Yes, we do. You online, you have an inheritance. You, if you're a believer, you have an inheritance. Yes. If you don't walk in your inheritance, why don't you? You didn't ask. Right. You receive not yes. because you ask not. Or you ask amiss, James says. To just blow it again on your own pleasures, which would be wasteful living. So realize the two reasons he didn't ever, ever have a party was, number one, he was thinking he had to earn it. Did he have to earn it? Nope. Everything I got's yours. Therefore, number two, he never what? Never asked. All you got to do is ask in faith in what God's promised you, and he'll do it. I said he'll do it. I said he'll do it. 32. It was right, the father said, that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. So one of the keys to this story is understanding first and foremost what I just mentioned. The first son chooses to go off and live wrong and do wrong, walk away. Really, this would be a believer. They leave church. They go back out in the world. They've learned some. I've watched this sadly happen with some people. They come into church, they have nothing, they get born again, they learn about God, they start receiving the principles of God, they start actually walking in the light of God's principles, they start receiving God's inheritance, they start getting blessed in life, but they're still caught up with stuff. Well, part of what caused this son obviously to go off and wastefully spend what he had is he had a problem with stuff, thinking that's going to make him happy, that's going to satisfy him. So I'm going to go out and take what I got that I've received from my father, and I'm going to go get happy and enjoy life. And guess what? He found out the end, of the, result, the end result was not happiness. It was actually totally worse than where he was before he ever left. So you got to understand, this, this very first son clearly went off to spend all this on himself. But he also did what? He also proved after he came to himself, he was trying to find his value and worth in what he did. Part of why he probably went off and spent all that money. Guess what people do? Obviously, stupid things with their money and their uh, actual time and things that they do in relationship to other friends. Why do they spend valuable time with people they shouldn't? I'm going to tell you why. They're trying to find value and worth in other people's acceptance. Some people try to buy it. You understand? There's wealthy people. I honestly believe this about Elvis. I believe Elvis tried. He, he had no value and worth in God. Thank God from what we know, people that ministers that knew him, he, he knew Jesus. He got born again. Yeah. But the reality is, he's trying to find value and worth in everybody else's acceptance. Right. Even proven from conversations of people that were around him that knew him close, that were friends of his, that talked about not like knowing what we know, what I'm, what I'm teaching on, but based on things he said. 
So he would buy people extravagant gifts and stuff. Guess why? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to find their acceptance. Yeah. He wanted them to like him. He wanted to be liked. Right. I guarantee you this prodigal was trying to find his value and worth in what he had and not what obviously he already knew a relationship to sonship in the father. It was in the stuff that he could obviously try to give to others or bless others or go out and get himself. So number one, this first son is trying to do what? Find his value and worth in what he does. But the second son was trying to do the same thing because when the, he comes home and finds out they're throwing the party, what's he do? He gets all mad and says, guess what, man? I've worked all this time, never transgressed a commandment. You've never thrown a party for me. And what did the father say? All that I have has always been yours. So why didn't he ask? He obviously did not know or understand my value and worth is not in what I do. I don't earn a party from my father. All I got to do is ask. Amen. All I got to do is ask. So if you're trying to earn anything from God, you're trying to get it the wrong way. All you got to do is ask the Father. Amen? On your notes, number three, the prodigal son had a bad habit of making all the wrong choices. But thank God he did what? He finally came to himself. 3a, the prodigal son thought, notice this, the prodigal son thought that the what? The grass was greener. On the other side. A lot of people think if I get this, I'll be happy if I get that. Again, trying to find value and worth in what you do or what you have or in relationship to other people. But obviously that little temptation of Satan making you think it's going to be greener on the other side. How many know if it's a direction that's truly not of God, it ain't going to wind up that way. 3B, he was craving, notice this, to be his own boss, make his own decisions, also without the input of any leadership. Clearly wanted to get out from under the leadership of his father as well. And therefore kind of be his own boss. I am not going to live my life as my own boss. Amen. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean you're to be irresponsible. But who should be the boss of your life? Boss. Jesus should. Yes. He should be the Lord. He should be looking to him. Amen. 3C. He took his inheritance and he went out and blew it on himself. Having a blast doing all he ever wanted to do. Did the end result turn out good? No. 3D, neither the father or the elder brother or any of the servants went after him. This is important to coerce him to return. They stayed back to keep the ranch in order so the prodigal would have something to come home to. Because again, for a, for a person that's a prodigal. So this is somebody that knows obviously Christianity, knows they should be in God's house this is what I mentioned the other night, and I'm grateful Kim called and asked some questions about this. When I said, we've got to quit wasting our time on lukewarm believers. Yeah. Lukewarm believers are prodigals. Right. Because the lukewarm church of Laodicea said, we're rich, we have needed nothing. I'm good, I don't need God, I don't need to go to church, da, 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 da. Right. That doesn't mean we're, not, we're talking about your church family. We're talking about people that have left the church. Amen. Talking about people out there in the world who are lukewarm, if I come across somebody, my first goal every single time is to find out in a short period of time, do you really know my Jesus? Recently met a guy, got to talking to him, found out about his background. He said, ever since I've been a little kid, as far as I've known, ever since I was a little child, based on the up upbringing he had from a religious perspective, he said, I've always known about Jesus. I said, okay, you know about him. But do you really know him? See, that's my challenge to everybody. Don't just accept the fact they tell you they went to church growing up that they're a Christian. Right. And I honestly believe through our conversation, he's probably not. 
Probably not even born again, because then I start asking more questions. But once I find out if they really are born again, guess what my next question is? Isn't it, uh, first thing I do, I usually make a statement, isn't it great to know Jesus? Isn't it wonderful? Yes. I'll ask you, isn't it wonderful to yes. know Jesus? Isn't it great? Yes. You don't seem too excited about it. Isn't it great to know Jesus? Yes. Isn't it wonderful to know salvation? Yes. So then I'll usually say, hey, do you go to a church? Oh, yeah, I go to such and such a church. So if they go to a good church, you know, I say, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm so glad you got a pastor. We met a guy today. He's from up north here, up in Godly. And he was talking about... Gunter. Gunter, sorry. Gunter. He, he was telling me all about their church and that they're in a school right now and they're believing, you know, to get money to buy property. I said, man, I know. I know right where you are, but God's going to do it, man. He's going to provide the way. Loves his church. Loves his church family. I would never tell that guy, well, you need to come down here to ponder and go to church. No, man. He's in a good church home. Amen. Loves his pastor. He should. I am not at any time, uh, any, any way going to back off uh, rejoicing with people that have a good home, church home. But for people who say, well, I don't go to church. I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to sit here and not say something. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, you know, the Bible's clear in the last days. You not, do not need to forsake something together. You need a shepherd more than ever. Yes. Period. But when they start making all their excuses of why they don't think they need to go to church, let me help you. They're lukewarm. I don't wave goodbye to them, but I'm not wasting hours with you to try to get you into church. You have to come to yourself. You have to come to yourself. If you've known God for any length of time and you know better, I'll guarantee you, I, I was talking to another person about this the other day. And I said, you know, it's not hard to figure out. If you ask a person in a conversation, if you ask them this question, do you know the Bible tells you that you should go to church? Yeah. But you know what you're going to hear in the next statement from a lukewarm believer? You know what you're going to hear in the next statement? Yeah, but, right. wait a minute, you just said, yeah, you know you should go to church. See, they know. Right. They know. Tell your neighbor, they know. Yeah. So they know, but guess what? If they're lukewarm and going to give excuses why they're not going to go, you're going to waste all your time with a lukewarm believer? No, I'm going after the sinners. I said, I'm going after the sinners. So remember this, this is important, Okay. You got to understand, neither the father D nor the elder brother nor the servants went after him to coerce him. They stayed back. That's what we're to do as it relates to lukewarm, prodigal believers. 3E, thank God that he finally came to himself and he returned home doing what? Underline it, admitting that he was absolutely wrong. That was the good part because that's how you turn. Admittance of, of your wrong is how you turn from it. If you don't admit it, you're not going to turn from it. If you're not going to say this was wrong, you're not going to turn from it. See, this is where it's not a modern day. I don't, I, and I've, I've been bad about saying that statement, the modern day grace message. It's not modern. It's been around since the days of the Bible. It goes all the way back to the book of Jude. So these people who say I'm saved by grace doesn't matter what I do. That's not true. It does matter what you do. But you got to understand you're not trying to earn anything from God but you can't keep living a sinful lifestyle and not have that affect your life. Because you're unwilling to admit you've done wrong. You're unwilling to admit the lifestyle you're living in is a life of broken fellowship with the Father. Remember 1 John. And if you're broken fellowship with the Father, you won't admit it. Guess what you're out of? You're out of fellowship with the Father. Does it mean he left you? No. What's the, what is the Father doing for those that won't admit their sin? He's standing there looking over the horizon. Hoping they'll turn around and come home. But what's the way you turn around and come home? You admit you did wrong. So admittance is a good thing. Amen? 
Three E, thank God that he did what? Finally came to self, returned home, admitting he was absolutely wrong. Three F, he was more than willing to be a servant in his dad's house and did not expect to return to his sonship. He just wanted to be assured he could come back to the ranch and stop living with the pigs. And how surprised he was to find out, I'm still a son. Because guaranteed, unless you denounce Jesus and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're still a son or daughter, even if you're living like the pigs. But you don't have to. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. So realize if you blow it, what should you do? Admit it. Admit it. Beat yourself up? Nope. Just admit it. And don't be like the second part of the prodigal son and think I'm unworthy to be called a son or daughter because of what I've done. Nope. If you are unworthy to be called a son or daughter, what you're, here's what you say here's, without realizing it. Without realizing it. You, you don't make this statement on purpose, but here's what you say without even realizing what you're saying. When you say, I'm no longer worthy to be considered a son or daughter in the sight of God for what I've done, you're saying the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. It's exactly, without realizing it, I don't mean you're doing it on purpose, but that's what you're saying. When you beat yourself up, you're saying the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. That it wasn't enough. And then you beat yourself up further thinking, well, now that I've said that, no. Just recognize the blood of Jesus was enough. Be glad. And say, thank God I'm still a son or daughter. I said, thank God I'm still a son or daughter. Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom, the liberation by which Christ has made us free, including as it relates to wrong motives, wrong lifestyle, etc., whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. So stand fast. Do what? Stand fast, therefore, in this liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with what? A yoke of bondage. So we're not saying don't be concerned about the way you're going. No, you should. You don't want to remain entangled into a yoke of bondage. You want to walk in liberty. Free from bondage. Amen? So the balance here is, I don't want to walk in bondage. Again, the hyper-grace message. Not modern, but hyper. Hyper-grace. Doesn't matter how I live. You live in sin, you're going to live in bondage. Now, I mean, oh, the prodigal, when he first left, obviously didn't feel like he was living in bondage. But I'm going to give you an old quote. I don't know who, where it started from. Uh, you know, some attributed to Roy Hicks, but I, I found out it was around before that. Ready? Ready? Here it is. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. So once you step into a sinful act of lifestyle, guess what it's going to do? Sin's going to take you farther than you really wanted to go. So initially, you really never thought it would turn out bad. You just thought it would be good. And it's okay to kind of do a little bit of this or get away with this or do whatever. But it, you start drifting away from church. It's going to take you farther than you're going to want to go. You listening? It's going to keep you longer than you're really going to want to stay. And guess what? Ultimately, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. So we don't want to remain in bondage to sin. Any amens on that? So what what, what should we do? Stand fast in the liberty. Stand fast in the liberty which Christ has freed you in. Number four, once we're free... From any sin, any bondage, we should do what? Fight with everything that is within us, not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Now to fight with everything within us to not be entangled with yoke of bondage, my will's involved because how many know your will can choose to do a lot of things? But my will is choosing to call upon God to help me to stay free. I want you to get that. See, what he means by this statement often gets misunderstood. Read it again. Number four. We are free. Say, I'm free. So we should do what? Fight. Fight every, uh, with everything with, that's within us not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How do we fight within us to not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage? Continue to rely on God to keep us free. Continue to walk in the light of the truth. Continue to stay in the word. What you do, child of God, is you continue to fight the fight of faith. And fight of fighting, fighting the fight of faith means I stay in the word. I stay strong in the word. I, I honor that word. I respond to that word. And if I do, guess what I walk in? Liberty. So once you're liberated from something, here's another way to say it. You know, years ago, I began to believe God to get free from chewing tobacco. And God showed me how. And I got free. In an instant of a moment of time, after battling on my own for months, I got this revelation and God set me free. Well, guess what? I don't want to go back and get entangled with that bondage because guess what tobacco can do? It can give you cancer. And God warned me about that. I can't protect you from this if you're going to keep doing it. And so I, getting free from it, could go back. I could go back. But I would have to force myself to go back to it just like I did when I first started. I don't know anybody that actually took a dip of snuff the very first time and just said, this is good stuff. I love it, man. Praise God. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. The first time I chewed tobacco, man, I'll tell you what. Within about 15 minutes, my head started spinning. Everything around me was going in circles. I'm trying to spit that stuff out as fast as I could because I'll guarantee you what, I wasn't feeling too good. You know, you know what your body's smart enough to tell you? You're not supposed to have this. Even in that case, your body's saying, hey, dummy, this isn't really needed. This is not something you should have. But I thought it was cool because all the cowboys I knew did it. And I had a cousin of mine stay with me that summer who chewed tobacco. He's the one I started taking little dips of snuff from. Till I finally made my body. Now think about it. I forced my body to be conformed to something it didn't want. Well, guess what you can do? You can force your body to do anything. Even stuff it may want to do that's not of God. You can force it to do what's right. But you rely on God's help because Jesus has already set you free. Amen? Amen. Go to Micah, therefore. Let's go look, to the, look at this verse. This will help. Go to Micah, minor prophet, Old Testament. Micah chapter uh, 7. Micah 7. Not far back from Matthew into the Old Testament. Just a little ways back into the Old Testament. Micah 7. This is a powerful verse. This is a verse that our pastor and his wife have lived by. This is a verse that... Uh, his wife, uh, you know, Mrs. B, got a hold of. Now, we don't call her Mrs. B in a demeaning way. She likes being called that. So don't feel like you call her Mrs. B. That's what she wants to be called. I'll call her whatever she wants me to call her. So Mrs. B, Mrs. Barclay, Dr. Barclay's wife, this is a verse she clung to when she got attacked with cancer. But we can cling to it even when it comes to sin in our life. Because when we sin in our life or blow it with God, obviously blow it, guess what the devil's going to try to do? Beat you up. Knock you down. Keep you down. Make you feel bad. But you know what? You should not allow the devil to knock you down and make you feel bad and try to keep you down. We'll say it again. You should not allow the devil to knock you down further and try to keep you down and make you feel bad. Micah 7. You there? Micah 7 verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. 
When I fall, I will arise. See, you're going to have times you're going to fall. Don't try to think in this life you're not going to ever, ever, never again not miss it. You're going to have times you're going to fall. What's the clue? What's the key? Rise back up. Don't stay down. Don't stay down. Turn around. Get back up. Notice again, when I fall, I will do what? Arise. When I sit in darkness, because obviously if you're going the wrong direction, you're not walking in light. What will happen? The Lord will be a light to me. He'll forever be reaching out to you to try to help you out of that situation. So God doesn't turn his back on you. You listening? God don't turn his back on you. He's always trying to reach out to you to pull you out of that darkness. Verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Meaning what? Not like he's indignant against me, but I know he's indignant against sin. And therefore, I need to be indignant against sin. Because again, I have sinned against what? Him. Him. Watch this. Until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me forth to the light. Say glory to God. And I will see what? His righteousness. His right way of living. So all it's saying is, don't let the devil get a one-up on you when you've done wrong and him continue to beat you and make you feel bad and keep you down. No, no, no. When the devil comes against you and says, boy, look what you did. What should you say? Hey, I may have fallen, but let me help you, Mr. Enemy. I'm rising back up. And my God said he would even reach out to me with his light and help bring me back up out of that darkness. My God's not oppressing me. My God's not against me. My God's not holding me down. And that's what the devil wants you to think. And you got to decree to your enemy. You listening to me? You got to decree to your enemy, no, devil. No. I will not receive these words of condemnation. My God's not condemning me. I won't condemn me. My God is trying to raise me back up. I will arise. Say it. So you decree to the enemy, I'm rising back up. I'm not staying down. You are not keeping me under condemnation because I missed it. Number five, put your enemies on notice right now that you are not going to stay down and that they better prepare for your arising. When you falter or fall, you better put your enemy on notice. Okay, all right, devil, I know I fell, but guess what? I'm getting back up. I just want you to know it. I'm getting back up. 5A, don't gloat over me, my enemies. Don't gloat over me, my enemies. In verse 7, I will look to the Lord. Uh, excuse me, verse 8, sorry. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. The phrase in the King James is do not gloat. Which means rejoice. Don't gloat over me, my enemies. 5B, though I have fallen, what will I do? What will I do? Guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not staying down. I'm not going to stay down. I'll get back up. I'll walk in what's right in the sight of God. So again, in all these series of what to do when on the back page here, we're going to now go through the things of what you're to do, covering some of these verses of what to do when you've blown it. What do you do? What do you do when you blow it? What do you do when you sin? What do you do when you miss it? Very important you understand this. 6A, admit it now. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Why? Because the first powerful thing you can do to get back up is to admit you did wrong. You can't get back up if you don't admit you did wrong. If you're getting lazy about church attendance, admit you're wrong. Get back up. If you've spoken against somebody in a way you shouldn't have, admit you did wrong. Get back up. Because admitting you're wrong is not condemning you again. It's just acknowledging, I know that was wrong, but I'm getting back up. 
6a, admit, admit it now. The sooner you realize and admit your fault, guess what? The faster you can repair the breach. But until you do, that's going to be a hard, you're not going to be able to do that. 6b, don't wait until it's too late. Don't let the devil get a stronghold on you. So that again means if I've done wrong, if I've sinned, guess what? If I don't immediately turn, it's going to do what again? Take me farther than I want to go. It's going to keep me longer than what I want to stay. And eventually it's going to cost me more than I want to pay. So don't wait till it's too late. Deal with it immediately. 6C, fix it. Whatever you've done wrong, fix it and everyone involved in it as soon as you possibly can. Never allow things to stay broken or people to stay offended if you can do anything to help them. Now, that doesn't mean people won't be offended about in relationship to things you may live that's right. We're talking about if you've done things to harm them, then you should do what's necessary to correct it and fix it. Amen. 6D, well, they won't forgive me. Well, that's not your part. Your part is to correct what you did wrong. Amen. 6D, inform your pastor of the thing that you have done so he can get into agreement with you and help you in the recovery process. Amen. You know, if it's something major and you're battling with it, if you, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to your pastor. It doesn't mean you got to tell him about every little wrong thing you did. <laughs> pastor, I need to tell you, I said this to this person the other day. I've already repented, but I thought you should know because you talked the other night. I'm not talking about that stuff. We're, we're talking about something that could become a stronghold yeah. and you need help getting out. You need spiritual help. You need your pastor in agreement. Amen? Yes. 6E, recover. Yes. recover. Yes. Underline it. Recover. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Never allow yourself the privilege of sulking in self-pity or quitting because you've blown it. You, you ought to circle, highlight, or underline this entire phrase. Do whatever it takes to get healed and or back on course. Recover, recover, recover. Say it, recover. Don't allow yourself the privilege of sulking and self-pity or quitting because you're blown. Well, I'm just going to quit. Well, I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm just going to... Number one, if you're serving in God's house, who should determine whether you should still be able to serve or not? Your pastor will. Because you're going to see this in a minute. Notice this. F, get back in God's service now. Get back in God's service now. Why? Many times, when you, many times what you've done is not bad enough to disqualify you even for a season. And serving him helps the recovery process. Yes. Now, there may be a time in certain situations that we can't you know, leave people in a, in a situation based on what's happened. But most of the times that's not true. Because if they're dealing with stuff pretty quick, it's something that doesn't mean you can't serve. And one of the best things for you to do to strengthen your life, keep serving. Guess what the devil doesn't want you to do? Keep serving. 6G, you have to do what? Rebuke shame, underline it, and guilty feelings every moment of the day until you what? Totally win over them or you will never win over them. Do you hear that? You have to rebuke shame. You have to. You have to. You have to rebuke shame and guilty feelings every moment of every day until... You totally went over them. Well, how would I know? You'll know. But if you don't, guess what? You'll never win over them. Because you're not dealing with something that's trying to take control of your mind, your thoughts. 6H, rely on God's grace. You ought to underline that. All these are great. Rely on God's grace and forgiving power to go on. Aren't you glad he forgives everything? I mean, not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We know that, but you understand what I'm saying. 
God, rely on God's grace and forgiving power to go on. Lean on His presence in your life and draw from that power. Man, what should I just say? Underline them all, right? Because you should underline that. You got to lean on His presence in your life and draw from that power. Spend time with Him. Spend extra time with Him. Talk to Him more. And don't feel guilty like I'm not spending enough time with God. Let me help you. You can spend time, all the time you want with God and still do everything else you're doing. Right. For the most part. Because right. while you're doing stuff, who says you can't talk to him? Right. You know? I just spent this whole weekend going through a selling of a home and a buying of a home and a moving process. Guess who I did it with? Her. And I guarantee you what, it involved a lot of stuff I had to do, but I still did it with her. I was around with her the whole time, talking to her the whole time. We were talking back and forth about all of it. You can do the same with God. Why do we put God on a different level? He's a person. So you can still be going through your day and do stuff. What? You got to be, you know, everything. Now, there's great, obviously, advantages in every relationship to spend quiet time with God, and you should. But I'm just talking about just knowing He's there, talking to Him every day. Praise God, because He is. Last one, 6I, run to the Word of God and hide in it. Eat it, excuse me, eat what you find on the pages of it and cling to every word as though your very life depends on it because it does. So Wednesday night you were given a what to do when, and I told you you should hold on to somewhere. Here's another one. Because if you'll keep this back page somewhere and you blow it, if, if you're somebody... If you're somebody who, when you blow it, you really go through hardship. You beat yourself up. You run yourself down. Da, 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 da. I don't feel worthy anymore. God's mad at me, et cetera, et cetera. You better have this list somewhere where you can grab it every single time. Because initially, when you go through it, guess what you can do? Bring up this list and read through it and remind yourself, this is what I'm going to do. This is called what to do when. What's this list for? When you blow it, here's what you do. Based on the verses on the front. Now, if I gave you this and this is what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, don't get upset and mad at me when things don't work because you were given an opportunity to know. Amen. Amen. It's like I told them. This morning I taught at Good Guys about the power of your words. I used the Titanic as an example. What sank the Titanic? It actually did not. What sank the Titanic? That iceberg was always there. It didn't have to sink the ship. What sank the Titanic? Let me help you. From what they know of research of what I found, because there was a lot of different stories, but this is actual accounts of people that actually worked with the, were part of the crew. One of them actually was one of the Morse code guys that's involved in this. The Titanic was given five warnings. Five warnings from other ships that they were headed to an ice field. That the area they were going into was filled with icebergs. All five warnings were ignored. Totally ignored. But yet, what caused the Titanic to sink? I'm going to tell you what. In this case, they didn't heed the warnings of doing what they needed to do to steer clear of the ice field for whatever reason. But what caused them to go in that ice field? I'm going to tell you what caused them. A rudder. What determined the direction where that ship went? A rudder did. What determined what direction the rudder went? The pilot did. James 3. You're the pilot of your rudder. And the pilot of that rudder, right? Let's say he never got the warnings. 
Sad to say, most think he didn't. If he didn't get the warnings, guess what? He should have clearly trained his crew better to give them any warnings at all of any such danger ahead. But my point is, the reason that ship hit that iceberg is because you had a pilot who chose the course by determining which direction the rudder would take them, and that's why they ran into the iceberg. What if the pilot would have heeded the warnings if he'd have known about them? Right? Right? Guess what they could have done? They could have changed that rudder in their course and never come near those icebergs. Never come near. What is it that determines where your ship goes? A rudder does. Come on, James 3. Your tongue's like a rudder of a ship. But the pilot is the one. So you were given warning tonight about how to deal with stuff when you blow it. If you don't go do what the Bible said, you're not heeding the warning to fix, obviously, what you could, and you're going to let the devil beat you up. Don't do that. I said, don't do that. Man, the Titanic is an amazing event when you start thinking about the ship and the incredible massiveness of it. Guess how many uh, horsepower the Titanic produced from all those turbines? 16,000 horsepower. This was one mighty ship, I'm going to tell you what. And sad to say, 1,500 people died that didn't have to die. For multiple reasons. People could say not enough lifeboats. You know why they didn't have enough lifeboats for everybody on the boat? Because the builder of the boat, being told how many lifeboats they would have to have for how many the boat would carry, thought it would look not good on the boat. It would kind of take away from the aesthetic view of the boat to have that many lifeboats. And I think because in their mind they thought it was unsinkable, don't need them anyway. Do what? Not even God can sink the ship. Yeah. So reality is, though, what sank the ship? A pilot did. Because if he would have taken those, whether he got them or not, if, if you'd have turned that rudder, guess what? It would have never got into that ice field. Guess what? Don't, don't take what I just taught you and not apply it. If you blow it, apply these things, and it'll help your life. Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.